I'm ready for the adventure to put a podcast into the world. Well, that's perfect because this is the word on the hill. We are the Linky Guys. You pressed record all early up on this, song, dude. You were singing a song, and I wanted the people to the people to hear it. I'm Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Russet, and we are going to talk about the Bible. So much fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we have uh, come to. Oh wait, uh, I wanted to point something out really quick. Have you been me. following the news? All the Nobel prizes are coming out. Yeah, there was something about some like stuff. Well, I'm getting the impression that I'm never gonna win one. <laughs> so I just wanted to. I just wanted to vent that. Sorry, what were you gonna say? You, you know, you're you are um, a peace prize in and of yourself. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude. What you said something before? You were like, "Oh, I have this thing, but I'm gonna wait till we're on the podcast to talk about it because it's so profound, and I want everybody else to know it." Shoot, I totally, is that for the readings? I totally forgot, dude. <laughs> I knew you would. You d- did you know I would? Yeah, that's why I always tell you all my insights, and then we fake being amazed by each other on the podcast. N- no, actually, no, we don't. We don't do that. Do you guys know that we get so excited, and we we actually have to hang out with each other with all of these really exciting things on our hearts, and we don't talk about them because we want to actually share the experience of the discovery with you. So we talk about other things. No. So today we are in the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. You better believe which it. Which is also the Feast of St. Kenneth, Woo! which is so funny to me. St. Kenneth. I've, I ain't ever so heard of St. Kenneth. So for all dude. you Kens out there, <laughs> Ken Barham, this, is, this, is this one's for you. Yeah. There's uh, a shout out. <laughs> Ken Barham on your feast day. Boom. Boom indeed. So um, the first reading that we have is yeah. from Wisdom. Ooh, Wisdom. 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 W can be pronounced as V if you're German. Or Wisdom, Austrian, or, or Austro-Hungarian, or Austro-Hungarian, or Hungarian. Hungarian. I'm hungry for Turkey. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, come on. Wisdom seven, seven to eleven. Um, our responsorial psalm. Probably gonna edit that out. Our responsorial <laughs> right. psalm is Psalm number ninety, verses twelve through thirteen, fourteen through fifteen, and sixteen through seventeen. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. Mm. And then the um, second reading is uh, brought to you by St. Drogo's Coffee House on the Hill in Boulder. Hebrews, chapter 4, 12 to 13. <laughs> Come on, you thought that was the best. You were like, oh no, did you just really do that? I thought, yeah, I did. Yeah. I loved it. Our gospel is coming from the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 30. Picking up exactly where we left off last week. Oh. It, right. Yep. That Our first a- reading. Dude, you could sample what we just did and put that in a song. Everyone will. Okay. We're going to have copywriters, people. Dude, we've talked about wisdom a lot. Well, then let's not talk about it anymore. Okay. Our second reading is from- From the responsorial song. No, come on. We got to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Wisdom. Yeah, we've talked about wisdom. It's one of the deuterocanonical books. It is- A collection of sayings um, rather than kind of a consistent narrative expression. Yeah. And the main themes of this book are the idea of, of, of- we can find wisdom and we can find the way to God in creation and what he has given us. And there's a, a dichotomy between the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. Fool. So this is the middle part of the book of wisdom, what our reading is coming from this week. And it's the section that, which is really about the praise of wisdom. So chapters six through nine or so are all praising how great wisdom is. 
And, you know, the fathers, well, let me just read this really, well, at least part of it. It says, I prayed and prudence was given me. I pleaded and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I preferred her to scepter and throne Mm. and deemed riches nothing in comparison with her. Nor did I liken any priceless gem to her because all gold in view of her is a little sand. And before her, silver is to be accounted mire. Beyond wealth and comeliness, I loved her, and I chose to have her rather than the light, because the splendor of her never yields to sleep, yet all good things come together for me and her company and countless riches at her hands. got to be kidding. Because all gold... Is that what I sound like to you? <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, the fathers of the church, and I, I'm not trying to give away the entire punchline. Maybe I am. But, I mean, the punchline is, is so obvious, but I want to tie it together maybe in some some of the more subtle ways. The fathers of the church, the, the ancient saints all looked at the book of wisdom and really the wisdom literature mm-hmm. and said that what wisdom is, to, what is wisdom? Well, the wisdom is wisdom, properly speaking, is God's word. Well, right. what is God's word? God's word is Jesus incarnate. And I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There, there's a little, you know, there's, there's, there's some frustrations that sometimes people get when, when wisdom is always referred to in the female pronouns in the book of wisdom. And, you know, it's pointing toward Jesus, who is a male, you know. But, but the idea is that Jesus embodies the wisdom of the Old Testament. Yes, I he mean— He is it, because have, he is God's word you made have flesh. That. But then flesh. you also God's have word this God's word the flesh Sorry. gospel. And uh, <laughs> you are a snark pants, dude. I love you. I was actually just thinking as we were reading this, I was like, how many references does this make to popular cultural television shows? Like Game of Thrones, Gem— Okay, that was all I had. <laughs> I don't watch that much. Yeah, no, I don't watch either of those shows. I don't either. But like, um, what? I don't even know what Gem is, dude. It's the it's a 1980s cartoon about a gem and the rock you stars. Gotta be kidding me! I, I know that. I know that's Come not on, what dude. I thought you were referring to. I mean, hey, good heavens, <laughs> heavens to Betsy, the heavens to Betsy. I was uh, well. One of the things that can really happen though is that um, uh. Wisdom can also be personified in the Holy Spirit, can't it? I mean, like, sure. That, that, like, yes, Jesus is the wisdom of of God yes. in, incarnate and made. But then there there is just there is a latitude and a room to be able to actually express that that this is uh, that this is is as an experience of the Holy Spirit. Yes. When you say her. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I have no, I have no beef with that. I don't either. I ain't got no beef. It's a dog barking in your backyard. Your dogs are barking. Um, oh, so oh. let so okay. I want to actually leave that where leave that where it lies, and we're gonna come back to it when we get to the gospel. Fair don't, enough. Fair enough. I, I mean, I don't mind you telling me that I lie. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> we can come back to that, but I, the, I mean, I just we, wanted to answer your initial statement. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't see it as a problem. I don't either. So, I, because there we go. the Father and I are one. Yeah. Yeah. And the Spirit as well. That's an asterisk to what he said. <laughs> and, oh, and the Spirit too. That was the implication of what I was trying to proclaim. The Trinity is confusing, is the moral to that story. The Trinity is confusing. Okay, Psalm 90. The, the response itself in verse 14 says, Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. Gosh, this is one of those weeks where, for me, at least in my mind, it's really hard to not speak about these all in reverse order. Dude, because I've, the gospel brings all of them sensibility. I've been finding that increasingly difficult just in the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Well, we'll do our best then. 
So fill us with your love and we will sing for joy. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain wisdom of heart. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Uh, Psalm 90, here's what I will say about it. Historically speaking, Psalm 90 has been used both in the East and the West, uh, Eastern Church, Western Church, um, as a prayer that's often used in the Liturgy of the Hours or in morning prayers at the beginning of the day as a way of offering our work and uh, yeah, literally our labors and our work to God. That's how it's traditionally been used in the church. And so I think there's actually something, yeah, I, honestly, I, I don't know if I have much more to say until we get to the gospel, then I want to come back. But it, this idea of the church and her wisdom is always understood, okay, at the beginning of the day, we basically cry out to God to fill us with his love, O Lord, and we'll sing for joy. And to teach us how to number our days properly. Did you just spit a raw egg out of your mouth? No. You've got to be kidding me. It's a hard-boiled egg. Oh, it's hard-boiled. Fill us at daybreak with your kindness that we may shout for joy. This is partially why it's, it's used in that way. So basically, at the beginning of the day, it's asking God to order us in our days, in our works, and the things that we are, and the things that we do. My parents uh, prayed this prayer, prosper the work of our hands, prosper the work of our hands. Yeah. Like, that's actually, like, essential. my dad's a custom cowboy boot maker. You better believe he is. And, uh, and so, like, this is essential, and they pray this every day. Because, do they really? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, dude, we work with our hands, yeah. and, like, there's no, um, because implied in, in my dad being a, um, um, a custom cowboy boot maker, maker my mom is as well. Are you peeling a hard-boiled egg right now on the podcast? <laughs> Dude, I'm just, this is, Ren, Renato, you do what you got to do. Okay. Renato is going to be uh, super bummed. Oh, Renato. Renardo. Or, Renato, stop I, it. No, I'm sorry. He is. I was just being a punk. Yeah, you were being a punk. Um, our second reading. So again, we'll come back to that. I, I want to put, I, this is a great little jigsaw puzzle. Basically, but, basically, what you're seeing happen is Scott Powell is <laughs> racing through the readings because he wants to maintain the order of them, but at the same time, he wants to get the gospel so that everything else makes sense. But yes, he, that's but he, true. But, he, but you cannot deny the order of the that's scriptures. That's noble. That's a noble thing to be doing. You are a noble man. All right, eat your egg. All right, <laughs> chapter uh, second readings from Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between spirit, um, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections of thoughts of the heart. No creature is concealed from him, but everything is naked, exposed to the eyes of him, whom we must render an account. Now, this is interesting because what, what Hebrews is doing is taking the idea of the book of wisdom from our first reading yeah. about wisdom, which which really is God's word. That's what wisdom is. It's how we discern God and who he is and what he's doing in the world. Hebrews is taking the same concept, but instead of calling it wisdom, it's calling it God's word. And instead of simply speaking about the word of God in an abstract way, yeah. it's speaking about it in a personified him and mm. he. Did you notice that? Yeah. It kept saying, so, you know, when I was in my Protestant days, we always talked about that verse specifically, I guess, verse 12. The word of the Lord is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. But I rarely read on from there and saw that when it talked about the word of the Lord, we're not just talking about the Bible. The Bible is God's word made written. That's true. Yes. But the Bible is not the totality of the word of God. The word of God is Jesus himself. So with th this is why the Mass is the, the source and summit of the Christian faith, because at the Mass, we have the Word of God made written, and we have the Word of God made flesh, and they come together, and we consume both of them. 
because the word of God is not restricted to his written words on a page. It is flesh and blood, and we get to actually receive that as well. Yes. So it's uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews knows what he's talking about in the sense that maybe the author of the books of, Book of Wisdom did not. He was alluding to something, but the author of Hebrews was like, no, I'm saying him in a very specific way. I know exactly who the Word of God is. Well, it's like St. Paul says. He says, um, uh, we see dimly as in a mirror, but we shall ultimately see face to face. Yes. The, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, Absolutely. New Testament. Like, like we, Like, we actually encounter the face of the Lord. We actually know how to look for the Lord. It's also... I think it's an, a kind of an apologetic for for the Catholic faith, because again, again, when I I hear this so strongly from my Protestant days, the Word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two edged sword. But the Word of God is not contained; it's not um, merely contained in the Scriptures themselves. That right. is God's Word for sure. But it extends beyond that to Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, to the sacraments, to the tradition of the church, to all the things that Christ has handed down through the apostles to us. It's all of it. And actually, it's in, what is it, in, Thess- in uh, Timothy, where it says the, the, the pillar and bulwark of, of truth is the church. Right. And actually, the traditions, those things are necessary. Right. So when... The Bible is talking about the Word of God. Yes. The Word of God as the canon has not appeared yet. No. We haven't got that together yet. No, That's it's, not what it means. It's it means, not solidified. Right. So it's bigger than that, which which actually should be really good news, that this is big. And this is not to to I mean, denigrate or underestimate the importance of Scripture but by was, any means. That was previous. Now we actually do have a canon, P.S. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. But when the writer of Hebrews is writing this— it's obviously not part of the scriptures. I, I was actually preaching about this yesterday. Like there was a time in which people just got together to listen to the word, man. Like it was, yeah. like like the 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 sense and the orderliness of of the breaking open of God of the word of God. Like yeah, like the liturgy yeah. always had a certain sense of structure. But when we have a lectionary cycle, but yeah. like you'd be like, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Let's gather together as a community and read it in mass. Yes. And because that was the proper context. That was the best context. Exactly. And so one of the criteria when the church was actually putting together the final canon of what would become the New Testament, part of the canon. Yeah. Part of the criteria was is every known church in the world reading it at mass? And so the its use in the liturgy was one of the most important criteria the church used in the three hundreds to determine what is the definitive canon. Yes. Is it is it liturgical? So it's important to keep in mind. So anyway, I, I love this, but dude, that's going to be the name of my of my Catholic punk rock band. It's liturgical. Liturgical canon. Ah, uh, very good. We are liturgical canon. <laughs> You're ridiculous. All right. So gospel, <laughs> the, our gospel, and this is what I think will bring everything tonight. <laughs> What? Come on, man! You're love, killing me today. I'm laughing, dude. I'm. I actually laugh at your jokes, and then the Did next. Did I make thing a joke? Know, yeah. What was it? Was it funny? Yeah. Really? I don't yeah. even remember making you, a joke. Yeah. What did I say? You lived your life. <laughs> what? You were just living your life, man, and you were being funny. I'm my just. Life, I'm just saying. A joke to you. <laughs> I, <laughs> what is with all the workout gear? Did you just decide to become healthy all of a sudden? <laughs> uh, sorry, I just I, I meant to ask you before. There are weights and stretchy things and weightlifting gloves everywhere. Um, I got them as a gift. Ah, okay. so so Father Enough Greg said. Father Greg Peterson, he was like, dude, he was like, you know what? He's like, I heard you're entering boot camp. 
which has been my like word. I'm like, I'm going to get going to mm. boot camp, which is like, dude, I've got to get like l- some level of exercise into my life. Mm. And so he's like, dude, you know what the secret is? Here's some stuff. Gear. <laughs> you are a gearhead. So if there's anything that would motivate you, it would be gear. Yeah, no, Greg Greg and I have been together He's for more friend. than 20 years. Good so. friend, man. Yeah, dude. Must be nice to have your good friends. Dude. Have fun with all your friends. Have fun with all your friends. Do you not okay. have friends? I have you. you. If you say if you say you don't have friends on this podcast, I have you. all the You're friends. You're the only one I have. You're okay. All I've got. Hey. You're all I've got. Um, no, I have friends. I have friends. My mom says I'm cool. So Mark chapter 10. <laughs> So we're picking, we're picking it up from last week. One of the things we mentioned kind of as we ended last week, um, in Jesus's section, in the, in the middle section of the Gospel of Mark, which we call the Way of the Lord section, where he's literally traveling the way, the road, the hodos road to Jerusalem, yeah. uh, he gives this long series of teachings throughout most of chapter 10, which have to do with marriage, kids, and money, right? Remember that? And it's the first time I, which I, I preached on it this last weekend. Woo! I mean, like I forgot at the mass you were at. Yeah, I was thanks, that was actually what I was going to talk to you after mass. Oh, we didn't really get a chance to talk, did we? No, no, because I was like, I was like, I had something to tell you about something. But then I, but then I remembered just now, and I told you about it just now. Thanks, man. So Hodos, uh, the yeah, the yeah. So m- money, kids, family, but, but marriage. What's, si- what's significant is that this is the fir- at the end of this section of teaching. It's the first time that you see the apostles who have been probably walking in front of Jesus. They're talking about who's the greatest. They're talking about the thrones that they're going to get at the right and left hand. Now, all of a sudden, once Jesus talks about marriage, kids, and money, all of a sudden they're amazed and they're frightened and they're walking behind him. So it's beginning to make the way of the cross kind of come down to earth. This is real stuff. This it's, is everyday it, life. It's a concrete expression. Yeah. It, this is not just some sort of governmental idea that I can go I can go home and live my life yeah. and I'm going to be in some sort of weird governing body that yeah. I can like do some le- legislation or something. Right, which is I, what they're thinking. Th- where they're saying like, hold on, you mean I got to change everything? Yeah. Yeah, no, ain't nobody want to do that. Ain't nobody down for that. So what it says in chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus, well, what what the translation you're all going to hear at Mass says is, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up. I don't like that translation because it, it sounds artificial. I'm not criticizing the scripture. I'm criticizing the translation. But it, Jesus wasn't just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go on a journey now. What it says is, as Jesus was setting out on the way, on, on the, the hodos, hodos. So this whole section is about the way of the Lord. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go take a trip now. He's been traveling, and now he's back on the hodos. He's back on the way. And we know where that way is headed. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be spat upon and, and you know, everything else. So this is a little road marker to remind us that this is, as, he's, as he's going back on, his, on his, his journey, his path to Jerusalem, a man ran up. It, it's, almost like it was, uh, it's almost like it's choreographed. <laughs> Because he just finished talking about if you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to be like a little child, right? And he yeah. calls the children. And then as if on cue, this guy runs up, kneels down before Jesus, which is the, a profound sign of humility and, and deference. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Um, it's an interesting question because it was kind of, well, two things to point out about this. Number one, the idea of eternal life or the afterlife 
by this time was was kind of a relatively new idea in Judaism. Really? For a long time, there was, you know, the idea of being in God's favor or being part of God's kingdom or the people of God had to do with the here and now. And it wasn't until, um, well, it, kind of the first evidence in Scripture you see of it being talked about is, is maybe in the book of Daniel, the book of Maccabees, where you start to get things about the afterlife and, and eternal rewards for things and, and all the stuff. But there's still some Jews at this time who don't even know if there is an afterlife. It's, it's debated. Everyone's kind of wondering. Nobody knows what comes next. The bigger right. concern was how do you become part of God's family now? Right. So this guy's asking something something different. What's interesting about it also is that everyone sort of knew the answer to that question. Well, you, you keep the law, right? You follow the Torah. That, that's what you do. Right. So you get a sense from this guy who he's going to say is very faithful to the law. You get a sense that there's something that's not satisfying him about that answer. Isn't that interesting? Because everybody knew the answer to that. Follow mm. the law. Obey the Torah. You know, do the covenant. Yeah. But he's like, there's something more, which is a strange I don't know. It's it's weird. So he's like, I know there's more to it, and maybe this guy knows. Yeah. So it's it it raises this question. Um, and Jesus gives this weird answer. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. This is not Jesus being like falsely humble. Oh, don't call me good. I'm not that good. Blah blah blah. He's he. It, it's a it's a direct um statement about his divinity. No one is good but God alone. You have called me good. And he's going to, at the end of this, he's going to speak even more explicitly about his own divinity and how, as you said earlier, I and the Father are one. Yes. So this isn't a false humility on Jesus' part. He's like, I want this guy to think deeper about what he actually just said. Because what he just said is a claim to my divinity, if you have the eyes to see it. Yeah. It's all built in there. You're good. Who's good? God alone. Oh, I... So, and then Jesus gives kind of the, the pat answer that everyone would expect. Well, you know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not by false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. What do you notice? This is for you, Father Peter. Yep. What do you notice about the particular commandments that Jesus chose to list? Kill, adultery, steal, false witness, defraud. Honor There's something your mysteriously missing. Covet. How many commandments are there? One, two, three, four, no, five, No, in general. Six. How many commandments exist? Ten. Yeah, the, the ten. And there's six here. How are they split up? How are the ten commandments split up traditionally? Um, you know uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the the beginning is towards God, and then the rest is about neighbor. So it's so God, what God are the and one, neighbor. What are the ones that Jesus lists? Neighbor. They're all about neighbor. Do you notice that? I did. He quotes only from the second tablet, so so to speak. So the ones about our relationship, <laughs> what? It wasn't just, a pun. No, I just think that it's funny. I don't know. I just, I don't know why <laughs> I, think, I think it's funny. <sighs> the second tablet commandments, like, I don't even know, man. The second tablet <laughs> commandments. That would be my punk rock band. <laughs> second tablet commandments. <laughs> but it, yeah, so the first are directed toward God. The second are directed toward neighbor. He only quotes <laughs> the, the ones directed toward one's neighbor, which... Makes you wonder, like, well, what about the, the probably the more important commandments about our relationship and our disposition toward God? What about those? And what's implied in the text is, okay, I'm going to get to that. But he gives it, he's like, oh, well, okay, what about the commandments? And the, the guy's like, okay, well, all of these I have observed from my youth. Youth, by the way, is probably age 12 when he had his bar mitzvah, when he was, dude, know, well, came of age. Helen, before you move on. Okay. I'm looking at the context of how he says, why do you call me good? Like, is is he actually seeking out this expression that the father would be like, um, in a place to <laughs> to where he's uh, um, 
Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. All shake right. it off. All right, all right. Um, Scott, Scott Powell actually had um, crumbs all over him from the nachos that we ate. And so he just had to shake off the crumbs from his shirt. Yep. So um, I'm glad you said Scott Powell as opposed to the other Scott. <laughs> Dude, I, I've been using two names on everybody. Good. But um, the, the, almost there's an investigation in the tone that Jesus is using. He's like, why do you call me good? Mm. And what if there was a pause? No one is good but God alone. That that there's actually the, the this certain sense that is he proclaiming this man as God because he knelt before him. He knelt and asked, oh. ran up. Interesting. That that in fact maybe he's offering him worship and he's like, Are you calling me good because you see that I am God? Oh, interesting. Huh. So so Well Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So I mean put yeah, keep covering tuck, first, tuck first, that away. First tablet action. Ship shipping, ship shipping. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, it's intriguing because, th- uh, well, take that for what you will. But it's interesting, especially in light of the next line, because then it says, oh, where am I? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There's nothing else like that in any of the Gospels. There's no expression where Jesus looks at somebody and expresses this love, which is kind of, it's kind of profound. Jesus mm. sees him and lo- has this love for him, this this disposition toward this guy it, it's yeah. it's really beautiful it's the kind of thing um it would only come from an eyewitness you know i mean you can imagine yeah. Pe- this is the gospel from peter's perspective peter being there and he's like i saw the look in jesus's eyes like i i saw the way he was looking at this guy i need to include that you know when i give my testimony tomorrow i don't know it's just one of those things you're like i was really moved by that i gotta i gotta get that in there so we looked at him and loved him but what's unfortunate is that you almost get the impression that this guy is going to miss that. He's not going to notice that Jesus is loving him because he's going to miss the whole thing. And he said to him, you're lacking in one thing. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Um, two things. Number one, we talked about the afterlife a little bit and the idea of eternal, eternal life. Even though there was debate over what that looked like and what that meant, one thing that was pretty commonly accepted was that the idea of reward, if you were good in this life, if you were faithful, if you obeyed God's command, you would get stuff. Really, a whole lot of the ancient world operated on terms of what we call the health and wealth gospel. Mm-hmm. So if this guy has a lot of possessions, and literally in the in the Greek it says property or estates, if he has a lot of properties and possessions— then in the eyes of the world, he was good and he was being blessed by God. He was being rewarded for his faithfulness because he's got all the stuff. Jesus is taking the cultural worldview and completely flipping it on its head. He's like, if you really want to have treasure, if you really want reward, get rid of all this stuff, which is totally countercultural, right? Yeah. I mean, it's countercultural to everything, but, um, and then come follow me. This the the follow me I think is 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 now returning to that first part of the Ten Commandments. This is where it comes to the relationship mm, with God. Yep. Follow me, and this, quite frankly, I think is what all the other readings are pointed toward. What is the first reading all about? It's saying I prayed and prudence was given me. I pleaded and the spirit of wisdom came to me. What has this guy just done? As you said, he falls down in worship. He prayed to what? To wisdom. 
And guess what? Wisdom was given him. What's the yeah. wisdom? Jesus himself is presented before him, tells him to give away his possessions, and come follow him. But He we, is embodying what the first reading was supposed to be doing. Yes, I deemed riches nothing in comparison with her. Right. And that's actually right. what, what becomes so profound is that we see like, oh man, it's super easy to get trapped and actually forsake wisdom for riches. Yes, absolutely. I have been finding that a lot. Like, like it's just weird. Like every once in a while, like different movements of the spirit you can see. And I've been having to use the, the phrase, you cannot serve both God and mammon. One's going to win. Yeah, one's going to win. It, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One's going to win. The question is who? Yep. And this is where, and he went away sad. At the statement, his face fell, and he went away sad for he had many possessions. He was not willing to do what the first half of the Decalogue was asking him to. He was not willing to love God above. What, what is the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God above, above all, things. all things. What the Lord, his God, was asking him to do was to follow him and reject everything else. He could not follow the first commandment. He could not love the Lord his God above all things. Mm. His possessions were too great. Yeah. And that's where we get into the, then it, we get a second part of the story, or really a second story, is that Jesus looked around his disciples and he said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Now, remember the context, everybody sort of believed, and this isn't scriptural, but everyone just sort of believed that if you have great wealth and great riches, it means that God blessed you. Right. You're blessed by God. Yep. And now he's totally flipping that on its head and saying, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And it says the disciples were amazed or astounded at his words. And they're probably thinking, I mean, they they heard what he said to this guy and they're like, oh, shoot, that's a pretty big deal. Um, we'll get to them in a, in a second. Well, dude, I mean, that's the thing, man. <sighs> how difficult is it to have our agendas th- messed with? Like... I have a picture of what my life blessedly looks like. No. And the and and that's actually something that I have been struggling with profoundly. Like yeah. even just in my life you go I go along and I'm like I had a vision of what a successful pastor is. And what are you looking for? The picture. Which picture? Uh one I had an idea in my head of what was your picture of yourself. It doesn't matter. Move on. Um, so I, I just have this picture in my head of what a successful college ministry pastor is going to be. And th- then I look around and <laughs> oh, did Scott just pulled a uh, black velvet painting off of my wall? <laughs> anyway, yeah, which that's I... my picture of perfect pastor. <laughs> We might have to include You had that. to be there, guys. You had to be there. I have I have several black velvet paintings on my wall because I think that black velvet paintings are like possibly one of the coolest things that you can possibly own. It's very strange. Because it's so off the charts. It's man. very weird. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So you have this image of what a perfect pastor is supposed to be. I think I just said that for like two minutes. I know you did because I asked you to keep talking while I went and found the picture. <laughs> but you never got to the butt though. But... <laughs> The uh, what God is actually asking of us in these concrete moments and what he's asking me as a pastor even right now is hard and confusing and very difficult to navigate. And right. the same thing is you had an idea what a perfect father looked like. Yeah, I ain't it. Yeah. And and now you actually have to be the father that you're meant to be in the midst of it. Well, and here's here's to to bring this home. So here's the apostles. They're they're kind of freaked out by this. 
what's ironic about the apostles being amazed and freaked out by this? I mean, think about it. Put the, put the pieces together. Who are the apostles? What have they done? They have followed Jesus and left everything. There are people who have left everything to follow Jesus. But what you, so I mean, they should be like, yeah, that's right, because we yeah. did this. But the problem is that that's actually not enough. It's not enough just to, and that actually speaks to exactly what you're talking about, about your pastorship, my fatherhood. It's not enough just to be like, okay, yeah, I'll sell this stuff and then I'll get moving. The apostles did that, but you get the sense throughout the Gospels they did it for the sake of what? Not for eternal reward, not for the sake of following Jesus because he is who he says he is, but because, as it said a couple chapters before, they want the thrones, they want the power, they want the riches. They're like, well, if we give up this stuff now and follow this guy, then we'll get the palace, then we'll get the thrones, then we'll be in power with him. Right. So you get the, you get the, in, in, the, um, you get the impression that their intentions are not entirely pure, right? Yep. Because and they see something, they get that in this moment. Yep. Because otherwise they wouldn't be amazed. They wouldn't be astounded. They'd be like, "Yeah, do what we did." But they're realizing like, "Oh, wait a second. We did this cuz we want a big gold throne. Yeah. Are you telling me we are not going to get a big gold throne?" <laughs> and then he says something even more shocking. He says, "How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God?" The disciples were amazed. So Jesus said to them and replied, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Notice he just expanded it now. He just originally said, How hard is it for people uh, who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Now he just said, How hard in general is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know that on, I feel like on this podcast before, and I know I've taught this before, there is yeah. this old kind of tradition that talks about this gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. Where a camel goes through and you'd have to take all the bags off. and anything, you, could, you don't have to pay tax on anything that the camel could actually do, but then everything that you had to take off, you had to tax. So here's the thing. Talk to me. I'm, my thought is evolving on this a little bit. There's no, there might have been a gate like this. There's no, there's no historical evidence for a gate like this. It is super popular to talk about, to hear homilies and to hear sermons and inspiring writings about this so-called eye of the needle in Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. There's no historical evidence that actually, maybe it, maybe it did exist. Maybe it was there. I don't know if the apostles would have been as amazed and astounded and floored by the statement if they were like, oh, yeah, that's the name of a gate that a bunch of camels go through all the time in Jerusalem. Unless Jesus was saying something else. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there really was a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle that the camel had to take all of its stuff off of. Or maybe Jesus is saying something else. And maybe it is as shocking as it sounds like it is. There's not this pardon the expression, this loophole of like, no, 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 you you can do it. You just got to take all your stuff off and then the camel can crawl through on its belly. Yeah, I mean, I've I've taught that I've heard that. What if he's saying something else? Because remember what he just said. Just before the rich young man showed up, he finished talking about how to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God, you have to become like one of those little children that is totally and wholly dependent on their parents, on their father, on their mother, right? What if what he's saying is it's impossible. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle, which is an impossibility because as long as the camel is trying to squeeze itself through that hole, it ain't ever going to happen. He's saying you have to rely totally and completely on me. So if you have riches, you need to, even whether you sell them on Craigslist or not, you need to abandon them to me. 
and you need to put your trust in me because only I will actually get you to the kingdom of heaven. Follow me. Don't think of how well, if I take off this many packages off the camel's back and I scoot through this way and I kind of angle it this way, then we can do it. And the more I think about that, I'm like, no, that's BS. That's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is you need to trust in me, not your ability to squeeze through tight circumstances. Right. That's the whole message of the previous three chapters is he's saying, no, I and I alone am the one. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the one that this guy needs to bow down to. I am the good teacher. I am God. And it's only through being like a little child and putting total dependence in me Mm. that you will be able to do these things. So I think the imagery of a camel through the eye of a needle, an actual camel and an actual eye of a needle, is more what he's getting at. Because you look at that and you're like, there ain't no way. And he's trying to say, yeah, there ain't no way unless you put your full total dependence in me. So I've been thinking about this a lot today Um, because, again, if there's just I don't know, I don't know. Maybe there was a gate, but the apostles are like, this is really hard. If that's true, then nobody can be saved. That's their response, isn't it? Yeah. If they're like, no, yeah, if the camel just takes off its packages and goes in this way, I get it. But they're like, if that's true, nobody's going to be saved, Jesus. What are you talking about? They were exceedingly astonished and said to themselves, then who can be saved? He says, for human beings, it is impossible. So, like, we actually have the explanation of the of the parabolic language. Yes, I think so. And um, parabolic, para- parabolic, parabolic language. Yeah, and then and then you get to the apostles with themselves, which is what they're usually their usual topic of conversation is. Well, he, but what about us? We gave up everything. Well, yeah, this is the thing. We've given up everything and following. I said, there's no one who's given up house or brothers who's going to not get blessings. Yeah, and that there's going to be more to come. Right. So he's saying that like that there is an intrinsic blessing to giving those things. Absolutely. But 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 it, it, it but there's, there's a subcontext to this saying like you can't manipulate God in. <laughs> right. That's you, ab- well. But don't forget, they. You could. I don't. I don't know. I'm not trying to. Put thoughts into their minds or or put intentions into them. But you could make the argument that the apostles really haven't given up everything because they've given up certain things, but it's for the sake of acquiring a bunch of other stuff. It's like, you know, I'm going to sell this piece of property so I can buy a much bigger piece of property. Right. That's just a business deal. That's not really giving up everything. You're just making a business deal. So, yeah, I'm going to give up my family and my home and my livelihood because I'm going to be a political, powerful, you know, the emperor's assistant in the kingdom. Yeah. That's not really giving up. That's just a, a business strategy. Right. You know what I mean? So he's right. If anybody actually does give that up for my sake, yeah, there's going to be blessing. But you like you said, you're not going to manipulate your way through that. Right. And that's, I think of the manipulating your way through that. That's what I keep thinking of when I think of this supposed gate. And, and what we're kind of saying, we're like, well, no, if you can just manipulate your way into this gate in a certain way. And kind of angle yourself, then, right. then you can get the eternal reward. And he's like, no, it's there's no way you can actually do this. It's only me. And to do that, you actually have to give up everything and follow me. And you have to go into the first reading. You have to go into the he- Hebrew readings. Hebrew you have to readings. go into the like, psalm too. You just you just fill ha- us with your love, and we'll sing for joy. Teach us how to number our days right. Teach us what our days are supposed to look like. Yeah, I've got this idea. If I do this and I do that, and I give up this and I sacrifice that, and I kind of do this. Then I'll work. He's the psalmist is like, no, you teach us. By the way, this is the Psalm ninety. It's the only psalm which is attributed to Moses. Oh, whether he wrote it or not, I don't know, but it's attributed to him. 
you know how he wrote it. He brewed it. He had a lot of coffee beforehand. Mm, I knew it. <laughs> Sorry. So those are my thoughts. Dude, those thoughts are phenomenal, and um, I think that uh, I want to give a tithing homily. Mm. But I, but a tithing homily that says we don't manipulate God. Yeah. That in, that in fact we we are just uh, we're subject to Him, and and as we subject uh, as we are subject to Him, we subject all things that are inside of us to Him, right. um, out of love for Him, and and then we will be filled with the joy of God, and we will be filled with His love, and we will seek God above the things of this world, and that'll be the best. Yeah. And that is actually like we we can kneel down before him and the Lord can challenge us and say, like, give what you have away. Give it to me. And it's probably going to stink. It's probably going to hurt and be painful. Yeah. Unless you've ever done it, which, by the way, is super freeing. It's totally amazing. Mm. Yeah. Sold everything you have? Yep. Mm. Did you do it? I did. Before I went into seminary. Really? Yeah. Wow. I've never done it. You have a family. It'd be, it'd be yeah, it wouldn't be a good idea. No, no. All right, you guys. Well, that's um, that's that. Keep so don't real. sell everything you have unless God tells you to do it. Yeah, that's actually that's the kind key. of the other uh, built-in uh, thing here. <laughs> so what what we're being called to is a willingness. Yes. To abandon everything, and and that that is what we call a uh, what's the word? <laughs> a detachment. Detachment. So Jesus isn't saying that unless you're totally poor, unless you have nothing, then you can't. And in the kingdom of God, he's saying, unless you're totally detached from it, if God were to call you to do that, are you willing to do it? If God is to call you to move to a foreign country, are you willing to do it? If God's to call you to adopt a child from another nation or something, are you willing to do it? What's your level of detachment from your view of your life? Of like you said, your image of what a perfect pastor is, my image of what a perfect father is. How much are we willing to be detached from those things and docile enough to follow God wherever he leads us? That's the point. Yes. And to do those things, again, what Jesus is saying, is really not possible under our own power. Nope. Unless we abandon it to God, unless we follow him with all of ourselves, we're not going to be able to do it. But when we give ourselves to him, when we sacrifice that, the, the, the most important thing, ourselves, then we can do all things through him. Strengthens us. Strengthen us, O oh Lord. Indeed. Keep all it right, real, everybody. We love you. We'll be back next week. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye.